Hi everybody, from Shelly and SJ. and SJ. Welcome to um, So What Now, so what now? <laughs> the podcast for startups by startups. Mm-hmm. Um, so SJ, who do we have in the studio? This week we've got something interesting actually. Um, we're moving away from talking to companies and established, well not established, but companies and brands. And we've got artists called Ian McCundell and the photographer, a guy called Brett Rubin. Um, and they spoke to us about starting your own brand where you are the brand. Um, so it was actually quite interesting and a bit of a different take to what we had in the first two episodes. Yeah, I think it, um, and, and as we go through it, you'll hear they speak about, you know, learning from your mistakes because it's quite a personal journey. Yeah, and the, um, the mistakes are much more prevalent <laughs> when it's you making them. <laughs> and, and about forging your own universe. I think, you know, if you're going to build a brand, your own brand, it's up to you. Cool, so let's have a listen. So we are here with um, Ian McCundell and Brett Rubin, both artists in their own right. Uh, Eo is a fine artist. Brett is a photographer who's aiming to do fine art. Welcome, Eo and Brett. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm joined, as always, by by Joy. I would say the lovely <laughs> Shelley Atkinson, but the old, the, the old Shelley Atkinson, no, the lovely Shelley Atkinson. So, Eo, Brett, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So, what now? So, what now? So, what now? So, let's start with <laughs> introductions. Tell us. Um, let's start with Eo. Tell us who you are, what you do. Let's start there. Okay, um, I'm Io, and I am an artist. I'm a drawer and a yeah, primarily drawer and installation-based artist uh, working in Johannesburg. Hi, I'm Brett, and I'm a photographer. My background is primarily working with people, and predominantly in portraiture, but through a variety of different mediums and which also includes fine art. I feel you're underselling yourself. You yeah, say... you're also a musician. He's <laughs> also right. a brilliant bass yeah, player. Right. And, but also, like, I've, I've seen your portfolio, and if I looked at the right portfolio, it's the, you shot Kuma Sakela and then... Yeah. So it's not just portrait photography, it's <laughs> portrait photography. <laughs> With capital With capitals. <laughs> wow. Being in the, the right place at the right time. <laughs> What do you mean by that, especially with, with your industry? Um, I think there's a certain um, school of thought that is that, you know, you can wait for a brief or you can facilitate your brief. And, um, for example, with Hugh Masekela, that uh, is exactly what happened, where I ran into his manager, who's a friend of mine, at the time when Rolling Stone magazine launched and they yeah. They just shot him for the cover. And mm. His manager is super excited and went like, what do you think? And I was like, it's a good it's, cover, but, but I feel like I could do better. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And the response was, fine, then I'll see you like in a month and nice. see what you can do. It's so. <laughs> very cool. That's I was quite lucky awesome. and out of my depth, but uh, we somehow kind of bonded very well. And what was he like to shoot? Incredibly warm person. Never shook hands, always hugged people, oh, no nice. matter who the person was. But also, I think someone that, from such a, a long career, 
especially in entertainment, was almost disinterested until the moment came when it was like, okay, let's just get this done so we can go eat lunch. And then (laughs) you just switch on into this like phenomenal kind of professionalism and persona. Mm. Amazing. And then be like, are you done yet? Can we go get lunch? So So, Io, tell us, um, you've recent, well, not recently, for a consistent while now, made waves in the art world and made a bit of a name for yourself. So tell us like how you got there. I graduated from art school um, in 2010, so I'm eight years into what I'd call my career as an artist, and it took me two, three years to really wrap my head around what that actually means and how is how is that actually going to be? Because they don't teach that. No. So no. yeah. So so yeah. So traditionally, a fine art degree is four years. You graduate with an honors, and you kind of meant to be gobbled up or snatched up by the top galleries at your grad show and then that's you made as an artist but if you don't have that experience where stevenson or goodman or whatever kind of comes and snatches you up which the majority of people which the majority of people yeah Yeah. experience Mm -hmm. you then learn the more exciting and challenging way so I think by the time I had graduated I was still very much exploring what my aesthetic was what I wanted to stay say with that aesthetic and um, w- what I wanted to do in the world and what I wanted to contribute to the market of art mm. so i actually did a business acumen for artist short course after my degree so just in terms of what the education allowed you you don't learn business acumen traditionally at university necessarily mm. you get like a a four month but in four the last semester yeah. yeah in the last semester <laughs> yeah yeah in the last semester of your final year you know, artists will come in and talk to you about how to actually be an artist in the real world, you know, but not really teaching very practical tools and skills. It's still very, like, philosophical in a way. So, yeah, so I did this short course because I thought, you know, I do want to be an artist, and essentially that makes me an entrepreneur, running my own business and and brand, in Mm -hmm. a sense. I mean, I, I still don't think as an artist or as, as a creative in the art world, it is different from being a brand or running a brand. You're, you're not quite a brand, but you still kind of overlap and function in similar ways. Like in what kind of way? Well, I think that you essentially selling your name and your vision. Mm which I suppose is what brands do yeah. is, is, you know, selling the same thing. But I think, I think with brands as well, it's, it's very formulaic. Yeah. yeah. So we, you know, there's a whole strategy that's behind it and then it's very structured and everything's got a, a place and a role and a, and a, and a time and space. Mm. And I think from a fine arts perspective, from what I can see, um, from an outside, uh, outside perspective, it's, it's far more raw. Mm. You know, you, 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 you're putting it out there without any of the research and the hours of time that it's taken to go into this and you're going, and I need to sell to eat. Mm. Yeah. Mm. We were having this conversation earlier about the difference between 
like design and fine art mm. and it's more like we have a commercial purpose in mind whereas you have more of a emotive kind of putting yourself on the canvas um, thing mm. in mind or it's the, the the idea is paramount to to yes. what it's commercially going to do and what it's monetarily going to give like exactly. that's the gallery's job that's kind of the gallery essentially becomes your your agent and your agency that mm. a, a brand like a the brand would, uh, yeah yeah and that is changing i think in many ways in this climate of the art world now where artists are essentially gaining more autonomy and running themselves independently and because of technology or just because yeah i think i think for like platforms like instagram where you can have your own instagram account and have built a name for yourself and then an online community that follow your work and an online like patronage Mm. and you can make sales and whatnot through instagram and which I think a lot of, I mean, I don't know if I'm a millennial or not, but I don't really feel like I am. <laughs> but I feel like the millennials are doing that. Like, that is what's happening. Uh, we're in our industry, millennial, the definition of millennial changes. Yeah, all, all the time, yeah. I think millennials, um, what, what, like, what's the age? Seven, seven, 17 to 35 or something. Yeah, but, but that's changed now because yeah. I'm now a zenial. Mm. which is... I don't even know thank, what that is. Oh, thank God, it's so great. It, <laughs> it means that we have the, the drive of the millennials, but the kind of caution and, and wherewithal of the, the Generation X. So yeah. we're in between mm. that, which is, oh, thank goodness, I'm not a millennial anymore. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think X I'm that too. The generation yeah. X. What? <clears throat> Aren't Just you asking not? a question. No, no, nothing wrong with it. Mm. No, no. You had the wherewithal. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's also because um, I've looked into that too. It's um, basic definition is people that grew up without a ubiquitous sense of technology mm. in their life. Um, yes. Like, you know, if you remember being given your first cell phone as yes. opposed to <laughs> you know, growing up always I having a cell phone mine. at hand. <laughs> With this Instagram age and the, the idea that artists are becoming a bit more um, autonomous, um, how do you, as an artist, as a photographer, how do you get yourself out there? For me, I um, once got some very good advice from an, a fellow artist who said... For them, the trick was to be consistent with what they're producing and to be persistent about it also, like make opportunities for yourself. Mm. Like even if a, a gallery or a curator is not kind of seeing your work, like you create those opportunities for yourself. And I think for, for me, that's essentially what I did was just I had a an idea of what I wanted to make and just continued to make and persisted with that idea. I mean, I did, I work, I initially after uh, school, I did work in the commercial design industry for a while as like an art specialist. And Mm. that was great. Learned a lot, learned a lot about like corporate life and corporate design and whatnot. Um, And learned that it wasn't for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I was very good at it and I could have gone Mm. a completely different way in, 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 my life but mm. I knew that I wanted to be an artist and in the sense that I wanted to impart something more personal and direct and 
yeah, not so like mass produced, I guess. So like four years into working in the commercial design industry, I then very abruptly quit because I suddenly woke up one day and was like, oh my gosh, if I die today, I would be so unhappy and ashamed of what I've given the world. Like, not that I did bad work, but it's just like, for me personally, as a human being, I was just like, I can't live with this. So I literally went to work that day and was like, I'm quitting. And I'm going to get a studio and I'm going to get back to making art. (laughs) And, And that shifted everything again. And I think that experience of working in the commercial world also taught me a lot about the nitty gritty of managing a budget and uh, you know like how yeah how do you cost things like how am I going to cost this project that I want to put on this exhibition that I'm going to put on like you know having a hands-on experience of that and then um working from there and making those things happen and was was that stuff Um, you learned doing it or was that um, part of the, the business acumen yeah I think part of it, it was business ac- that business acumen course but then also hands-on working within the commercial design industry and then getting back into the fine arts space and always working independently around that and then once that starts happening so I think once you persist and be consistent about what you're doing a market develops mm. your uh, a market um, is created from that and then I guess galleries uh, then kind of see that you're doing that and they like that and then they want to work with you it's just it's it's I think from the artist position it's it's a, it's a constant like juggle of you know how much how much autonomy do you do you keep and how much do you give, give over away. to and how yeah. supportive is the industry there's a very healthy ecology in Joburg, at least, in the Johannesburg art world. like People are very supportive of each other. Artists are supportive of each other. Galleries are, are at the best that they can, supportive to their artists. And there's a very yeah strong community of support in being interested in what each other's doing, going to each other's shows, um, buying each other's art. Uh, yeah, I think there generally is... It's It's... Because it's kind of this underdog industry in the country, in South Africa, and that's, I think, because it's driven largely by the major galleries. It's a very market-driven market in this country. You don't have patrons and your philanthropists supporting whatever artist or the government supporting a huge biennale or whatever. So it's very much like these are the big guys that are, are kind of... Marketable. Marketing, mm. who and why and what. Mm. Is it more important to have a style? I think it, because from, our, from a commercial perspective, it's exactly what I was saying about building a brand. You hit your notes yeah. and you make sure that you've, mm. you've built all of these sort of visual audio, whatever mm. cues, mm. so that you know that you always, you know, that, that persistence and that sort of like consistency is always there. Mm. Mm. But it's not necessarily always exciting i think at certain points of your career as an artist um it functions differently so i think when you're starting out you obviously want to become recognized and for somebody to be like oh that's an ero mccandle and not to be like 
what is that who is that it looks like this but in in my case um i think that's what's beginning to happen is that my drawing looks like my drawing and my installations Mm. have a very distinct aesthetic to how i work Mm. and there's there's a language that's been established there now Mm -hmm. but that does not mean you want to stay there and not innovate from that Mm -hmm. and kind of develop out of that yeah, but I think generally, yeah, you want to be recognized. Like, you know what a William Kentridge looked like. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like you're certain. And yeah, I'm, I think photography functions very in a very similar way. Um, I was fortunate enough to work with a photographer that once told me, you know, at a very sort of base level, you, you forge your own universe and you you take authorship of what exists in that space, you know? Mm. So it's, it's not only about doing one thing that's a signature style in one way. It's, it's essentially whatever you're authoring should relate to, to you and to your Mm. approach. And ideally, I mean, you know, in an ideal space, uh, as a photographer, you'd be hired because people see something that resonates not Mm. just because they go like oh well you've owned that camera and you know photoshop Mm. and so it's not mm. not necessarily owning a visual style it's more owning a a kind of a narrative i I think so yeah i think i mean i you know we we spoke about Hugh masekela earlier and and in a in a weird way that's been the strongest marketing work i've ever done you know (laughs) i've landed like really big portrait jobs with corporates you know, and I knew that I was up against photographers far more senior than I was. And when I got the job, I, I asked, you know, what what was the deal breaker? And Hugh. they were like, oh, well, you know, if you work for Hugh, like, you can do enough for But, you know, in a way, I think that is ideal, is that if people see something in your work, especially the work you do for yourself or, or the work that you put a lot of your yourself into at least people should resonate with that and say you know I'd, I'd like to do you think there's a waiting sort of between what you can create and personal branding because you see amazing work sort of like lost down purely because they don't know how to sell themselves that sort of personal branding the ability to stand up and actually make a sale yeah which is a shit thing to do it's cock most people love it well if you're in that industry yeah yeah, I think, you know, that yeah. that is a thing, you know, you, you as a creative, often you're your you're biggest critic. And so you, you're often looking at your work often. and, yeah, and you know, all, you do is mm. all the and time. essentially <laughs> seeing what's what's lacking from it or what could be improved upon. And, you know, it's very then it's very difficult to then go and say, buy this amazing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if, you know, so some people I think have a better gift of the gab, you know, I've seen that with um, certain peers We've of mine who are, are wonderful, like self-marketers and, you know, they can sort of land any kind of job just based on how well they can sell themselves, I guess. Um, mm. It can be very challenging. And I think that's something, you know, people do underestimate they, they're like i want to do something fun and creative and it's going to be amazing yeah it's going to be so cool like i still need to eat and i got the yeah. petrol in my car and i'm going to pay the rent <laughs> yes. we love it but does the world <laughs> well, no well it's not even does the world it does the world know they need it because mm. we yeah. told them how much they do <laughs> yeah so going from 
you deciding I'm going into the art walk, you deciding I'm going into fine art photography. Mm. Tell us about the first while, starting to market yourself, starting to put your brand out. Tell mm. us about those days. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you could literally see like the whole room just went, oh, fuck. <laughs> those days were dark. <laughs> Here comes um, the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I think it takes an incredible amount of uh, self-belief because if you don't believe in yourself first and foremost, you're not going to be able to convince anyone else to believe in you. Mm. I think for me personally, I was incredibly critical of everything I made and it wasn't good enough and it needs to be like this and that. And I'm, I'm incredibly pedantic about the way I make so yeah like I was my own worst critic and I kind of had to switch that off for a while where mm-hmm. I just said you know what I'm not going to critique or judge or overthink anything I'm going to do I just mm. need to do it I yeah. actually just need just to need do to get it out there, yeah. make do mm. stop thinking like that's produce. what making means produce yeah so when I decided that I was going to make an art practice yeah for eight months it was terrifying just working in the studio every day not knowing when the next kind of meal is going to come from like stressing the hell out like fuck, I didn't plan this properly. Shit, I should have stayed until I got that bonus and then quit. I can't how many times I missed it from bonus. Like, damn it. Yep. Um, But yeah, somehow just persisting in that very difficult space of Mm. like, okay, you just need to do this. You just need to do this. Carry on. And then getting to a point where... For me, it it was just very genuine, like very sincere making of like, this is the vision. And suddenly, I think people saw that in the work where it just had a vitality Mm. infused into it. And then, yeah, a big collector bought my first kind of drawing of that trajectory. And it just it like kind of sparked off this interest in what I was doing. Mm. And then it just continued like, and I continued making and it like snowballed from there where they're just, yeah, there was like eyes watching. And then I was like, okay, <laughs> no, <laughs> got to no, keep on going. <laughs> but it was, um, Pepe Marie, the owner of Joe public recently wrote a book and he also said the moment he found his vision, like that's when things started clicking. This but I also think, and having, I also think when you give yourself that break, mm, like yeah. it's, it's mm. okay. Mm-hmm. But also it's having like conviction. I mean, when mm. when you switch off that judge thing, switch like you have, or at least for me, I, I had conviction of what I needed to do and mm. conviction of what of how I needed to get there and the steps I needed to take and and those steps being consistent about it. Like I will mm. make this this drawing today i will make this sculpture today Mm. i will instagram it and somebody (laughs) will see it and you know (laughs) bread with the photography same Mm. kind of vibe or yeah how did you start off in photography we haven't gotten to that okay so (laughs) let's i'll go back some Mm. ancient history but i I, um have you met have you have you met (laughs) sure 
whatever. But it's always funny when you say, you know, like I studied pre-digital. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it does, it does sort of show your age. I was really pre-digital, you good. But um, I, I was studying um, a film and media degree in Cape Town. Um, and, and in fact, my, my background was never in photography. I grew up obsessed with music. I was in bands in high school. and Which bands? Uh, you wouldn't have heard of them. Damn it. <laughs> but uh, funny enough, we had gold uh, here. for the last four years, I've been in a band called Zoo Lake, yeah. um, which is myself and, and Adrian Hugo from Dr. and Mrs. Joe Payne, who's also Very an industrial cool. designer and an artist named Kevin Lotz. Um, nice. and, and I have to say that um, nice self-promotional punt there well done yeah, yeah. We've also just, that's uh, the marketing tool oh, yes. we've just released our debut album <laughs> is it available on Apple Music it should be by next year wow that's amazing but, um, but, but I, I, just before I go back into the past I mean one thing that um, I can highly uh, recommend to creatives is having a, a side passion oh know, yes something that is a pure creative outlet that's not driven by need or money or, mm. or you know and and being in this band has just for the four of us been the most magical kind of experience as people that every day wake up and have to create stuff and make things it's and, really important to, to distract yourself yeah like i, I used to yeah. study I, I actually studied law um for three years sorry mom didn't go well <laughs> <laughs> and um but during that time, and I can't remember for the life of me who, who told me, but someone said to me, you need to find something that isn't law. And mm. with us, with design, you need to find something that isn't design. You Absolutely. need to find something that isn't photography. Because if yeah. you only think design, if you only think law, if you only think photography, yeah. you kind of you walk down this corridor and you never open one of the doors down the corridor. No, no, but also to stay curious. Exactly. And, like, and, and also it, it I teaches feel like you it, to think differently yeah. about what you're doing. Precisely. It stimulates different uh, parts of creativity in your mind. You yeah. know, that aren't, you know, the sort of routine that... that Builds up over time. You know? I also yeah. think it, it, it helps you to switch off the judgment. Yes. Yeah. Because it's something that you're okay to fail with. Yeah. Whereas when you know when it is putting you know food on the table, you're far more critical and hectic and mm. militant about what you need to do. Whereas that it's just a creative release. So I okay. So going back into to that, that's precisely uh, I was studying film, but in those days being pre-digital there was just this sort of mountain of essay writing that you know analyzing movies and and you know you, there was no hands-on work and, and it got incredibly frustrating mm. um also the, i don't think the film industry here at the time was that big no uh, it was, it was i was very small it was i, I very was niche. while studying i was sort of had these strange jobs like as a runner on set, uh, driving cars on like B-grade movies in Cape Town. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Mm, there might have been some porn. When, no, no, <laughs> fortunately not. But, but oh, okay. I, I must say, when you're not a good driver to begin with, and you, have, you haven't slept for two days because you've been working and you get given like a vintage Jaguar to drive over like, you know, <laughs> treacherous terrain. It's not such fun. <laughs> but um, all I'm hearing is stunt driving. Yeah. That's literally all I'm hearing. <laughs> well, on a good day with me, it generally is. But, um, but, but I, I basically decided to, to take a darkroom course uh, in printmaking and black and white film developing mm. just to get hands-on and you know stills was obviously the most accessible thing it wasn't like buying a, a movie camera or anything like that and um 
and I got completely addicted um, to to that. And and after my studies, traveled uh, to South America and took a whole lot of thirty five mil black and white photography and. And, and, oh, and so much fun. In, no, in much the same way, I was kind of like weighing up a few different careers um, and, and a, a collector saw a particular image of mine and, and bought it and, and said, you know, you should definitely pursue this as a career. And it, it really gave me the encouragement to, to do that. And funnily enough, it's still a client of mine today, Not about 11 say. years later That's on, great. Which, um, which is great. And um, yeah, so, but, but over the, the years, just how I got into a professional space with photography, I, I was fortunate enough to have two kind of pearls of wisdom arrive at my doorstep. The first was basically being told by a senior photographer who I deeply respected, you know, that if you can separate the reason you create work from the response to the work, You'll, you'll have a much happier kind of... That is amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, which, you know... Cut the podcast right here. We've got <laughs> Thank you very much. But, but, you know, especially when you're young and, and, you know, trying to fit into an industry and, you, you yeah. know, much like what you were saying, like, you, you know, you haven't quite found your niche and you're trying different things. Like, you put a lot of importance on what people think. And sometimes it's actually the worst thing you can do. For we spend career. days checking like who's liked the posts, yeah. who's listened to the I mean, podcast. Fortunately, I, I grew up in a time pre-social media. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I imagine it has had a big effect, you know. Um, but And then the other pearl of wisdom, which is really, really uh, phenomenal. I, I, I was living in New York for a few months, but I was living with one of my sisters and assisting photographers. And I happened to go to a talk by Mary Ellen Mark, who's a fantastic, was a fantastic photographer. And, she, you know, she was showing all the phenomenal work she did over the years, very intense documentary series, living in India and working on movie sets as like a stills photographer. But the, the final thing she said at the end of the talk, which has always kind of stuck with me is, um, especially from someone like that was, you know, saying, the most important thing to remember is you're not as good as your last job. You're only as good as your next job, you know, and, and um, sure. and that's, you know, I, I think something a lot of people should take heed of is mm. no matter how good your successes have been over the years or where your careers led you every day, you've got to show up and, and treat that, that day of work as like the thing that's going to stake your reputation, yeah. on, you know, big or small. And, um, yeah, I think people take that for granted. I've seen a lot oh, yeah. of photographers with inflated egos kind mm. of like, you know, turn on certain clients and things like that. And also I think sometimes yeah. when you, uh, some, some of the most amazing work comes from the least expected places. Yes. Yeah. And if you're not completely. open to it, you miss it. Yeah, mm. completely. Because, you know, it could be the small, tiny little brief that's nothing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I was uh, starting out, I, I, I took on any work. Because I just mm. I didn't want to get fired. That was my life. Sure. That was my one goal <laughs> to stay employed. <laughs> so I took on all the the briefs nobody wanted, and and ended up doing some amazing work and building my name just from that. Mm. Mm. Because it mm. wasn't seen as something that it was boring or uncool or whatever it yeah. was. I don't know. But because of that, no one I suppose edited me as much as well. Mm. So I had opportunity to create. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and mm. if you if you're not 
if, if, if you're not looking at each thing as an opportunity mm. yeah mm, you know completely waiting for the big brief mm. so speaking about editing yourself commercially up until now we've i've had creative directors tell me the work is right the work is wrong the work is good the work is bad how do you critique yourself or where do you draw the critique from how intimidating is it to put something out there that hasn't been molded by someone else mm. basically well i think in in a fine art space as as an artist working with galleries and working with peers that functions differently where you don't you don't want your gallery or your collectors to be like well this sold i really like that yeah. make more of that that's just not going to work no. i mean then you're just producing you may as well print it over and over and yeah. Over. Yeah. yeah and sure that's a strategy if you want to go that way like there's a lot of successful creative people doing that just mm. you know mm. but i think in the way that a lot of other artists work you you get that kind of feedback from the community you create around yourself with your your fellow artists mm. and writers and curators where it may not necessarily be in the commercial space but it's in a kind of intellectual space where you can talk about ideas, experiment with a certain material with another artist, and then that kind of creates something else and kind of have that um, community around you to to give that feedback. Yeah, but it's, it, it functions differently in a way that it's like, okay, cut that out. You know, we're not going to go with this, you know, color strategy or whatever like <laughs> you know that was so last season you know um yeah sounding amazing right now it's very really tough sometimes being you know your own critic I, I, i've i have a few sort of close friends or colleagues uh who, you know, I'm, I might ask if, if I'm feeling uncertain of certain work. I might, you know, get a trusted opinion. But most of the time, I think, you know, there, there, there's a certain amount of um, the need to trust your, your belief and instinct in what you're doing. And, you know, good or bad, mm. just That's follow through on that course. Mm. You know, some things might age, some things might last. But ultimately, I mm. think, you know, that's the big part of being creative is is mm. not being too afraid to make mistakes of judgment and you know mm. trying to be too perfect or too mm. curated I think but um, I, I also read a great thing that like you know mistakes are a, a bridge between inexperience and experience you mm. know? and sometimes you learn a lot from doing things not as well as one might have yeah mm. and seeing where there's room for improvement Yeah, I think, I mean, you're always going to have failures and um, to just fail quickly and get on with it <laughs> and get back on. <laughs> Fail- yeah, I think, I think, failing forward. Yeah, yeah failing yeah, forward. I think, I, think, I think picking yourself up after yeah. failure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You know. totally. and, it's, and, and failure is also perceived failure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know? yeah. And it's how, how, how hectic you judge yourself mm. based mm. on that. I think one yeah. of the most important lessons I learned was my old man used to say, um, you don't fail, you learn. Yes. So yeah. even if you think it's a failure, I mean, 
100 million people went through that exact same failure. It's yeah. how, how you deal with that failure exactly. going forward. Yeah. yeah, completely. Yeah. What I also would, that brought to mind was, um, I think as creatives, you you also learning and growing in the, in the public space um, because you putting your work out there, you're showing what you're making and mm. every exhibition, every project you do, you, you're developing and you're growing in front of everyone. So it's a very vulnerable space mm-hmm. to, to, and to be in. And you also get critiqued. I mean, you totally, yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. And you just need to yeah, take it in your stride and forge I mean, forward. In a commercial space, you know, uh, our work gets reviewed, but it's a team of people that have created mm. it with a whole bunch of this and this and that yeah. and the client. And so we're quite buffered. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's disappointing. To an extent. Or, yeah, it's, no, it's disappointing. <laughs> yeah. and it's, but it's not your own, just yeah. you standing mm. in front of like. But I was watching, we went to watch um, Bohemian Rhapsody, the, the Queen movie mm. last week. Mm. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it, was, it did not fall in love. I, uh, I love Queen, which is which is why I didn't like the movie that much. Yeah. But um, there was one scene where they they just recorded the song Bohemian Rhapsody, and they play it. And as they play it, they show the actual reviews that were written about Bohemian Rhapsody, oh. and people were saying like it's it's mediocre, it's trite, it's like it's self indulgent, it's this, and it waffles on for six mm. minutes, and like almost every review that they put on on screen is breaking it down and it's now regarded as it scientifically it's the mm. perfect song it's one of the best songs ever written and mm. the reviews around it were literally it's i always say the moment you ask people for review or critique they th- they think you're asking them tell me what's wrong with it mm. and if you put something out there people think they must tell you let me just tell you what's wrong with it just so you can get better. Oh. So in your different industries, who do you, I don't want to say idolize, but we use the term tin gods. So who drives you? Who's the person that you look at who you go, holy shit, like they did that. I can't believe they did that. I need to bring something of that into my own offerings. So, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a someone in the industry. No, not be, at all. It could be hmm. a religion. You That's can name a, as many as you want. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you've put me on the spot because I, I Oof, who or what mm. could be a what could yeah a what. i think i think what is is the i hate to sound cliche but quite seriously the environment <laughs> <laughs> but seriously i mean i think the environment um the environmental condition that we're in is a huge motivator for how i want to create what material I use, what uh, what kind of conversation I want to have in the work. Like that's a huge motivator. So I think that's my one. Human beings. I have a lot of mentors, a lot of women mentors that I've surrounded myself with that just as kind of women, seeing them succeed in their respective ways has been a huge motivator to me. I also think mentor, that that mentorship is important. That mm-hmm. sort of drawing from doesn't necessarily have to be someone within the space, but mm-hmm. like you were saying, looking at women and seeing how they could succeed in their individual fields or whatever it is. But you draw inspiration from it. You go, oh, I can do that too. You know, yeah. and it gives you it gives yeah. you that sort of that drive. Yeah, yeah, it's important. Yeah, I mean, if I had to name an artist, it perhaps is. 
um, Louise Borghese, just because she's, you know, she survived a very long time and 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 kind of produced and created in a time when a lot of women artists weren't necessarily recognized and it took her a long time to be recognized but she was consistently just an incredible maker and um is always is there still that divide still oh yeah i mean very much so very much so i mean the, the, the 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 art industry is flooded with women in administrative positions, working as gallerinas and whatnot, but like, but but I think it is it is slowly but truly changing. But still, it's dominated. Like statistically, the stats say it's white men. Still, sorry guys. <laughs> yeah. So. But that's all. I think that's shifting incrementally, slowly but surely. And your turn, guys. Okay. Well. Um, well, th- there's obviously certain people I've been incredibly inspired by in the fields of photography and cinema. But I guess also then people I've encountered through my work have been incredibly inspiring. Obviously, Huma Sekela we mentioned. I've learned an incredible amount from him just in terms of his way of seeing the world and seeing how, you know, things worked. And, and just by very nature of like what he lived through and what he had to deal with and, and how he did that has been an, an incredible source of inspiration. You know, he told me this crazy, almost like absurdist story in the early 90s when he was playing in New York and a right at the end of apartheid like a a south african government representative came backstage after one of the shows and kind of said to him hey man like you really you're killing us out there on this tour that you're doing you like the publicity is so negative like we're ready to like cut a deal like if you come back to south africa we'll make you like an honorary white what you can imagine like oh, that's fun. insane yeah yeah um oh, you know and you can imagine crazy. you can imagine the response that was <laughs> yes from someone like <laughs> yeah i'm sure he took that very positively <laughs> that's um, insane you know so just seeing like, like how, the way that that was seen as like yeah i'm, I'm giving you <laughs> it, it's a privilege <laughs> what <laughs> You know, and you know, just just seeing, you know, obviously the challenges and and both here, but also in exile, and and how that affected his life, and and yet how he never kind of became bitter with the world or, or entitled, and still loved South Africa completely. Yeah. Yes. You know, and, and sadly, you know, I remember in the last few years having these wonderful discussions with him and hearing him sort of almost reminisce of how arts were better funded. Yeah. in 1994 than they were oh. today and why is that and mm. you know he ran the state theater for a while and it was sad to to sort of hear him talk about that uh, someone that had given their life essentially to their art and and you know seeing all these incredibly talented younger musicians coming up and mentoring um, a lot of them and, but and also the almost sort of on them almost. yeah almost mm. sort of feeling hard done by that that mm. the arts which have you know, essentially what artists did in, in apartheid was expose it to the world. Correct. You know, uh, much to their own um, risk. 
Mm. And um, to then not see that sort of appreciated and, and endorsed and, and funded is, mm. is a, it's a sad mm. thing. You it's know? a sad indictment. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that kind of support's not non-existent here, but it is, yeah, it's, it's not... It's not what it could be. It's, it's not what it could yeah. be or should be. Yeah. Um, Sometimes yeah. it's the, the link between the existing yeah. support, and, mm. you know. Mm. But so, so, I mean, definitely, you know, my life is, is far richer from, from just sort of being around someone like you and, and learning as much as I could from the time I had with him. Um, you know, and, and also just especially on like his sort of mischievous sense of humor that, you know, <laughs> um, you know, one learns not to take things too seriously and also to kind of um, maintain a certain stance towards things and not bend to, to pressure. So, so that would definitely be one. But in, in the mm. fields of photography, um, you know, my, my favorite photographer is Anton Corbein, who's done a lot of fantastic portraiture especially in music and you know just a complete uh, signature style and locally I, I was always very in awe of David Goldblatt and, and many others uh, Peter Magubani, Alf Kamala you know all these kind of wonderful big names so welcome to a new section of so what now called yay yay called friends of murmur <laughs> Why are we doing this, Shelley? Because we aren't allowed sponsorship. On our hosting platform. On our hosting yeah. platform. Because so what we've South decided African. to do, because we're South African, so what we've decided to do is um, have shout-outs for... People that we dig. People that just lacquer people. Yeah, people that we've worked oh. with, um, friends of ours, people that we've collaborated with. Um, so we don't have sponsors to thank. So, so we want to thank some of our friends. Yeah. So, who is the first lucky recipient of the, a murmur the, the shout? The first luckiest, <laughs> lucky recipient is Sarah Shorten, or yeah. um, as her Instagram handle, um, at Spastic Mozzie. Spastic with a Z. Spastic Mozzie with a Z. Yeah. Um, Sarah is a freelance designer, mm -hmm. an amazing typographer, yes. and an all-round cool individual. Very, very lucky person. So cool, give Sarah a shout if you want some freelance design done, um, if you want to buy her beer, check her on Instagram. Cool. Love you, Sarah. Love you, Sarah. I'll come back to the show. Um, there was one thing that I wanted to say, I don't know, I might be preempting something, but um, what I was thinking about... We have about... no plan, you're not preempting. Pre oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but just, I was just, when, when, to go back to that question you asked in the very beginning about mm. what would you say to your, uh, what would you say to your on day one mm. would be, mm. I think, be accountable, be professional always with yourself and with the people that you work with and respectful of that, people's time, um, and then also, yeah, with, with, you know, when you are working independently initially, like whether you remain that way or do sign with galleries or whatnot, there are things out there to create what you need to create. So go out, look at what is being funded and what those funding bodies are. You know, there's the NAC, there's a whole bunch um, that you can draw upon and should 
because yeah that's that's how you are going to start out and then also i think i re- i can't remember where i read this but um it was where like 90% of artists in the world have other jobs too yeah mm. um and it's not that <laughs> it's not it's not that it, whatever you're doing other than being an artist don't you know don't let it detract from what the art production uh, uh, practice is you know you 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 have an art practice and whatever you do outside of that supplements that to enable you to continue that art practice so for example i i teach but i love teaching um and that's it's in a very important aspect of my making is to teach so it's not a soul destroying kind of thing no no so Working in the commercial di- design industry was because I had no time. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I, I had like no time or energy or creative spirit to like create. And yeah, I think like you know, I think the pool of artists who are only making art 100% is very few, and yeah. maybe also not a good thing. Brett, what would you say to young Brett? because <laughs> <laughs> wow. um, I would tell young HJ stick to the law <laughs> so much more money in that <laughs> yeah I would you know I, I would definitely say you know it, it, it's one thing to have big dreams and big pursuits and, and sort of fantasize of like what your career could become but I guess the advice I'd give myself starting out is to, to accept that like your successes are made through your your disappointments you know and and, and be prepared for for many of those <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know it's, you're not gonna like uh, ace every job or you know uh, and, and in in a way that's that's kind of a good thing you know you, you know I, I started out at a time when there was still quite a boom in in the photographic industry and Budgets were still a thing, yeah. <laughs> especially in, in, in editorial work. <laughs> Whereas now, it's no sort of, you know, <laughs> um, people don't always predict e- the way economics are going to affect the world, and you know. But a lot of the time, people just leap into these fields expecting to kind of nail it and and um, you, you, you don't you don't i think i think sometimes you don't learn that your failures make failures make you more agile yeah mm. that ability exactly to like adapt sometimes yeah. because you need to you have to in order to survive and i don't think you you know that initially going out there it's more of a you know yeah i'm going to show this and change the world and nobody gives a flying fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and then there you are mm. What's what's next for EO and for Brett? So I'm going to be doing a one-month photographic or well, art residency in Finland uh, in Damn. March next year. Very we nice. were speaking about going to Finland before you arrived. Oh, we well, have to go to Finland. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. It's, it's in March, so it's the end of winter in a forest where you sort of there's an optional meditation each morning and a sauna at night. And, um, it's a tough life you lead. You're kind of, it sounds very hard. You're <laughs> offline for most of the time. And, and it's sort of ideal, really. I'm, I'm, uh, it's been on my horizon for some time and, and oh. I'm very uh, excited for that. So that and I suppose just 
Furthering on with Zulek, my band. Nice. <laughs> and I'll say that I'm a bassist that sometimes takes photographs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, I'm currently doing a master's at WITS. Um, um, but otherwise, I will be having a solo show next year and then the following year after that. And... Continuing on, yeah, more residencies. I think as an artist, residencies mm. are the best way to to develop as an artist, to develop your practice, to extend your global network outside of a gallery uh, infrastructure. Where <laughs> can people reach you? Where can they see your work online? Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I also have a website with my name, yermacundle.com. Um, and then also through the Kalashnikov Gallery and Evrod Reed Gallery in Cape Town. So those are the two galleries I work with. And then otherwise, Google my name and yeah. Um, yeah, also, uh, I also have a website, brettrubin.com, Instagram. Cool. Cool. Well, yes. Brett, thank, thank you very much for joining us. Yes, thank you. You. awesome. Yeah. yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank absolute you. pleasure. So Shelley, what was the takeout for you? For me, um, like we said in the beginning, um, the, the, the point I want to start on is learning from your mistakes. Mm. I think that's super important, um, especially when you're starting your own brand and doing your own thing, to not let the, the, the pitfalls and the mistakes and all the fuck-ups drag you down but rather let it be a learning curve going forward. Well, as Brett said, you know, mistakes are the bridge between experience and inexperience. He also said your successes are made through your disappointments. Which, <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, but it's true. I mean, mm. it's it, everything I know now. Oh, I've, 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 learned I've, learned through, <laughs> I've learned by stumbling. I've learned by stumbling. Watching a toddler hit their head. It's oh. exactly that. Um, all the thing, all the, put it this way, all the things I do well now, I fucked up in the beginning yeah. and I learned through mistakes. So all the things that I pride myself on now are the things that I worked to fix because, <laughs> because they were mistakes in the beginning. Mm. And I, yeah. I also think from, uh, you know, uh, EO was speaking about just persistency and, and, and being consistent and, and forgiving yourself mm. um, and giving, giving yourself the space to fuck up. Yeah. So that you can learn from your mistakes. Switching off that inner critic for yeah. a while. Because if and I've seen it, if if you're constantly telling yourself I can't, I can't, I can't, or it's not good enough, it's not good enough, it's good enough, not good enough, it never will be. It's it cripples you. Yeah, it does. literally. Yeah. yeah. I think also the thing um, that that Brett said initially, the you can't wait for a brief, um, or you can wait for a brief, or you can facilitate a brief. That is like so key for especially for juniors and young people. In any industry. 100%. If you sit and wait for people, people aren't going to throw you a bone. It's not going to fucking happen. And also, because you potentially are coming at it with, with, with very little experience, you may see it in a way nobody else does. Exactly. And if you just sit And that unique it, voice yeah. may not be heard if, if you don't have the courage to get it out there. So. And, and you said um, when you were younger, and I did the same, and I'm sure a lot of people in the industry have done the same, 
um, you didn't sit, you took all the jobs that no one else wanted. Mm -hmm. You went and said, please, can I do this? Please, can I do this? Now, I as well, I worked after hours on the jobs that I wasn't allowed to work on, basically. (laughs) (laughs) So that you could learn. (laughs) Yeah, it's exactly that. Like when I was young, well, when I started, um, it was different times. So we had to do grunt work. Like you, you made the coffee, you, uh, you did the grunt work, you did all the groundwork that no one else wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I did deep etching and back of pack layouts till it came out of my ears. And after hours, I would go and work on the nice briefs. Well, well you know, um, when I was young, um, mm. We had no internet. So. You started to carve your own <laughs> so radios. We had to carve <laughs> into stone. Um, but it was, inspiration was a difficult thing to find. Yes. You Well, I mean, not as easy as it is today. And if you didn't sit and physically do the work, go through everything, you know, put yourself into those positions, you weren't exposed to it. You had to literally, literally, you know, open your coat, expose yourself and, yeah. you know. But it's also that that's where you where you learn. Like you, you don't think you will. You you like you think um, you're going to come in and unless I work on the Coca Colas and the Nikes of the world, I'm not going to learn. I'm not going to. It's the grunt work. It's the shit work. It's the work that no one wants to do. That's where you learn. That's where you learn the process. That's where you learn the technicals. And also, I think a lot of the the perceived nice work yes can be very formulaic. Yeah. Um, and actually, the interesting opportunities lie in the briefs that aren't known, aren't yeah. big and shiny. It's it's the quote-unquote the shitty jobs that you could mold gold from. There's no budget. From. There's yeah. no. I mean, yeah. that's you know. That, those are the ones you can like make diamonds out of. Correct. If if you put your mind to it and. The nice thing is because no one else wants to work at it, on it, it's a massive gap for you to shine. Cool. So who's next on our show? Um, next up, uh, we have Rory yeah. from Roth Media. Mm-hmm. She's their fearless leader. Yeah. And she'll be coming in to discuss her journey and her path. Um, and she's, it's sort of a medium-sized agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, medium, but, but yeah. growing very quickly. Yeah. Cool. And where can people reach us? Podcast at murmuroriginals.com. And there um, you can send us suggestions, you can send us feedback, um, any commentary. Uh, We've gotten some nice feedback and comments, um, but scattered. (laughs) A little bit on Facebook, a little bit on Instagram. So if you've got any suggestions, mail it to us. If you want to be on the podcast or if you know anyone who can or wants to be on the podcast, also drop us a mail. And then social media-wise, shall uh, Instagram, it's at Murmur Originals. And Facebook, it's just Murmur Originals. Just Murmur. Facebook, it's just Murmur. There we go. There we go. Cool. Fucking useless. <laughs> Fucking useless. <laughs> cool. So tune in for the next one. Thanks for listening.